Welcome to church. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're continuing in part three of this series of messages that we've been in for the past few weeks called Identity. Let me hear y'all say Identity. identity. And we're talking all about the power of knowing who you are. And last week, Pastor Joey, he began our study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, as we look through the book of Ephesians, like we just read, we see that it's just a couple pages. We see that it's just 155 verses. We see that if you were to sit down and try to read the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting, it would just take you 20 minutes. It's just a few pages, not that many words, but yet we see in this short letter, we see divine power and beauty in its words, which is why so many scholars would say that this book, this letter to the Ephesians is the most important and influential document in all of human history. That more sermons have been written about this book, this letter, and we see there's great power. Like last week, we studied through verses 1 through 14, and we talked about this emphasis on our position in Christ. And Pastor Joey talked about the reality that when Christ is in you and you are in Christ, that it shapes everything that you do and all that you are and how that you live for the rest of your life. These words, in Christ, shape it all. And the emphasis last week was all about the power of knowing our position in Christ. And the emphasis this week is all about the power of knowing our possessions in Christ. I'll never forget the first time I got to experience the Delta Sky Club at the airport. Y'all ever been to the Delta Sky Club before? Awesome. Some travelers. We do live in Atlanta. And um, this was actually at the Salt Lake City Airport um, out in Utah. Uh, I'll never forget my dad. We were out visiting my dad in Utah. And he dropped us off in the airport to fly back to North Carolina. And he dropped us off at the door and he said, hey, by the way, you guys can go eat breakfast in the Delta Sky Club. And we were like, what is that? And he was like, hey, just take your boarding pass. And what you're going to do is you're going to go through and you're going to actually pass all the lines of security because you're my kids. And you'll get to pass the lines of security, go to the Delta Club, tell them who you are, and they'll let you in. And so sure enough, we start walking through the airport, and because of who my dad was and his status, somehow we started to pass all the peasants that were in line in security. We're just walking past them all, and we make our way through the airport, and then we show up at the Delta Sky Club, and I'll never forget going to the front and telling them who we are, and they said, welcome, come on in. And those glass doors opened, and this was me as a 16-year-old walking into this room like this, and what's not pictured in this room right here is their buffet. Has anyone else ever experienced a buffet before? As a 16-year-old, a buffet is everything. And so we start to make my way through this line of this buffet. And so I'm getting bacon, and I'm getting all the biscuits, and I'm getting the bread, and the baguettes, and the croissants. And did I mention bacon? And I'm just loading up my plate. And me and my siblings, we are having the time of our lives. And we're here in this airport, and, and I'm just stuffing my face. And if I was 21, I wasn't at the time, but if I was, like, they got cocktails and mimosas and all of the things. And I was like, what is this place? And so we get to hang out there for just over an hour while we're waiting on our flight. And I was like, I finally made it. This is what it means to experience the lifestyles of the rich and the famous. Like I'm there. I have made it, experienced it. Check that off the list. And I started to think about it, though, that up to this point in my life, I had never given Delta a dime. I'd never bought a ticket. I'd never visited their website. They didn't even have my email. I did nothing to deserve being able to be at the Delta Sky Club. But here's the reality though, because of who my dad was, because of his status, 
because of his position as a black diamond medallion member of Delta's Royal Flying Club, I was able to experience all of the blessings that day of what it meant to experience being in their club, a part of their family, all because of who my dad was, all because of his status, all because of what he had given to us. And the same is true for us and our position in Christ. It's that when you are in Christ, you are now part of the family of God. You are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. Paul says that the father of glory, the father of glory wants to give you access to all that he is and all that he has for now and forevermore. And that's where we find ourselves today. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 23, discovering the power of knowing who we are in Jesus and what we possess now because of our identity in him. See, in the second half of Ephesians, Paul shifts from the first half is all about this praise, praising God for the blessings that we have in Christ. And then he moves towards a prayer. And it's a prayer that he prayed for the church of Ephesus, but a prayer that he's praying for you and me today as well. And his prayer is that we would know the Father intimately and personally. And it's here in this prayer that the Apostle Paul gives us the secret to grasping and knowing the blessings that we've been given in Jesus. And so why is this important for us to talk about today? Because I believe that there are too many people in this room right now that are living their lives simply unaware of the extent and the power of the blessings that are available for the son or daughter who is in Christ. I believe that there are too many people in this room that are believing lies that what has happened in your past is the most truest thing about you. And maybe there's too many people in this room that are believing that your status with God is too limited and too lowly because of your inadequacies, because of your mistakes, and you think that you're too messed up because of your past to be used by God or to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And I believe that there are churches today on Sundays like this, in rooms like this, people sitting in pews, sitting in theaters like this, or maybe even on floors. There are rooms at churches full of people that are walking in a timid faith, that have yet to tap into the power of knowing who they truly are in Jesus. And I believe that God wants to replace that sense of timidity in this room tonight, that you might be walking in with the spirit of confidence today that maybe you would walk out of here today with a little bit of like a holy swagger, like a confidence in knowing who your dad is, who your heavenly father is, the father of glory and what he wants to give to you today. See, if followers of Jesus could truly grasp and comprehend the vastness of who we are in Christ, there'd be no stronghold that wouldn't come down in Jesus' name. There'd be no wall that could not crumble. There'd be no limit to what we could do, the church could do to transform this world for the kingdom of Jesus. See, because what we believe about our identity has all sorts of ramifications for who we are and what we do and what we become. And what if the striving that you're experiencing in your spiritual journey could stop today because of a realization of who you are in Jesus? See, spiritual writers and teachers and theologians have written for years and years that self-awareness is not merely some sort of modern self-help snowflake mantra, but that self-awareness or this knowledge of who you were created to be in God is essential to understanding our identity 
and knowing who we are and whose we are is essential to our discipling journey under Jesus. And so let's jump into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Joey gave a brief context on Ephesus, the identity of Ephesus. And Pastor Joey related Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, Ephesus to the city of L.A. And Ephesus, it was a huge city. Here's a modern day rendering of what they thought it might have looked like. And it was a uh, massive city where it was the epicenter for worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. Ephesus boasted over 250,000 residents, which may not sound like that much right now, but it was the second largest city in the, in the world at that time. Located near the western coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, you can see it on a map right here, it placed this city's location near the sea and made it a hub for transportation and the sharing of goods and information, and it contributed greatly to its value to both the Greeks and to the Romans. They cared about this city. This city gave access to a wealth of information. They had this famous library. They had access to travel and all of the entertainment that you could ever want. They had a 25,000-seat amphitheater. It sounds a lot like LA, right? Hollywood, sports, music, art, entertainment. And for the Ephesians, it would have seemed as though they possessed everything. But yet Paul, he writes to them saying that what we have in Jesus is far superior than anything that their city or their world could offer them. And so who is the church at Ephesus? Well, we get a glimpse at the beginning of these verses into Paul's prayer, and we get a glimpse of who the church of Ephesus was. He says in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, someone say faith, faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love, someone say love, love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, hey, I've heard. He's like, there's a rumor going around, Ephesus. There's a rumor going around about you. And unlike a lot of the other churches that I planted, this rumor came back, and it's a great rumor. I've heard about your love, the love that you have for all the saints. I've heard about your faith, the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I've heard, like, the report card came back on the church at Ephesus, and y'all passed, flying colors, golden star. You're doing a great job. And how encouraging is it or would it have been for the church to hear this? Like, wow, Paul said, we're crushing it. We're appreciated. He loves us. He is praying for us. They were modeling what, the great com what Jesus tells us to do and the great commandment that we would be a people that love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. They checked those boxes, loving God, loving people. It was core to their identity in the church at Ephesus, and it was core to the identity of a Christian as well. And they were like, all right, we're doing great. Paul encourages them. He says, I see you. I appreciate you. And then he moves into this prayer for them, and it's a prayer for you and me today as well. He says, I pray that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. See, in all the prayers that Paul prays in scripture, he never prays for us to receive anything material from God. And this is important for us to know because there's a message, a lie being preached today that if you put your faith in Jesus, your life will be easy and you'll be prosperous and you'll never have to worry about money and everything will be perfect and fine. 
But Paul doesn't pray that God would just give us things in scripture. No, no, no. He never prayed asking that God would give them what they do not have. Right here in this scripture, he models praying that God would reveal to them what they already have been given by the Father. That your eyes would be open. And that's the prayer that I've been praying over us today, over you today. That today you would receive from God what he wants to give you, which is wisdom and experiential knowledge of who he is and who he's created you to be. Remember I mentioned earlier that Ephesus had a great library. Um, this is a picture of Ephesus's library, and it's the library of Celsius. And it's not to be confused with Celsius, the energy drink. Like some of y'all are pumped. You're like, I'm going to that library. I'm going to get jacked. And this library was a place that people would gather to consume and to gain knowledge and wisdom. It was, it's one of the most architectural marvels of the old world. It was the third largest library in the Greco-Roman world, and it is believed to have held 12,000 scrolls. And so Paul, he's writing to a people who had access to a vast wealth of knowledge. And we live in a world today very similar, where information is readily available for us. Like, you don't have to wonder about anything anymore. Have you ever thought about this? Like, whenever I'm in a conversation with someone and a question comes up, I don't wonder. I just pull my phone out. I ask Siri. I hop on Google. Like, it's just what we do. Like, I, me and my wife were just on a trip uh, to San Francisco with some friends. And as we're going through San Francisco, every question I had, I just hopped on Google. And I'm just learning all these things about San Francisco. And we went to this place where we saw these sea lions on the dock. And I was Googling, why are sea lions hanging out on the dock here in San Francisco? And then I was like, why do sea lions make this weird bark? And now I know way too much about sea lions. And then I was like, why are all the windows smashed in San Francisco on the cars? But Google didn't have an answer for that. They're still trying to figure that out. And, and, but we're always Googling things. We have, this, we have access to this vast wealth of knowledge and information. It's because of the speed at which technology is advancing today. It's said that the volume of knowledge available today is doubling every 12 hours. For perspective, in the, 19th, in the 20th century, the doubling rate was 25 years. Every 25 years, knowledge would double. Now it's every 12 hours hours. And that's contributing to why so many people today find their identity and their self-worth and their education. If I can just learn more, then I'll achieve more. And this search for knowledge has become an idol for a generation that finds their identity and what they can know. And it's this endless pursuit. And it's crippling. In 2018, Barna did a study and they discovered that for the first time in human history, a generation, Gen Z, many people in this room, find their sense of self, their sense of self or their identity more in their education and more in their achievement than any other generation before them. And if they started to rank what is most truest to who they are and shapes who they are, it was education and achievement and everything else underneath. Their family, their faith, their religion, their hobbies, their gender, everything else went down. But at the top was their education. We have more opportunity than any other generation to reach our full potential, hands down. And yet mental illness is through the roof. And it's actually fascinating and disturbing at the same time that the more money that you have and the more educated you are and the higher status you achieve, the more likely you are to experience symptoms of depression, feelings of insecurity, and suffer from mental illness. See, I think we have more in common with the city of Ephesus than we realize. That we are on a search for who we are and what we can learn and what we can know and what we can achieve and what we can buy. But Paul's saying, hey, your search can find a resolution 
in the highest possible knowledge that's available, and it's in knowing God. And that's where he starts his prayer, in the knowledge of him. Warren Wearsby, this late great theologian and commentator, he writes this about this passage. He says, the atheist claims there is no God for us to know. And the agnostic states that if there was a God, we cannot really know him. But Paul has met God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he knows that a man really cannot understand much of anything else without a knowledge of God. See, Paul, he's echoing this message that Jesus preaches and Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus, he gives us the definition for eternal life. And Jesus says this, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, the beginning and the middle and the end of the Christian life is about knowing God. It's about knowing God. Some of y'all are like, tell me more, Joe. And I'm like, I'm glad you asked. Okay, we're going to have a quick little seminary session. See, knowing God personally is what we call salvation. It's that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And we step into that as we know God. We step into that life with him. And knowing God increasingly is sanctification. Like we just sang, we sang that word, sanctify me. Make me more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you make me more like Jesus? Philippians 3, Paul writes and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You were made to be more like Jesus each and every day. And from the moment you first step into a relationship with Jesus, it begins this process of sanctification as the Holy Spirit moves into your heart and says, hey, let me chisel away the junk, the mess, the old you. I've got to rip it away. You've got to die to that old way of life and live in the fullness of who Jesus is every single day. It's a process and you grow in that every day. And then there's knowing God perfectly and we call that glorification. It's that one day you and I Followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, will know God fully. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. It's like now we see dimly, but then we will see face to face. He says, now I know in part. Just know this much. He says, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's that there will come a day where there's no more question, there's no more wondering, you will know God fully as he has known you. See, knowing Jesus as Savior is this beautiful beginning to your walk, and yes, you could spend the rest of your life growing in your knowledge of Jesus as Savior. And at the same time, there is so much more of God to know. And you're invited to know him as friend and as father and as protector and as defender and as provider and as your peace. He is, there's so much more of God that we can grow in knowing. And the more that we come to know God, the more rich and the more satisfying our life will become. And the more we know God, the better we'll know ourselves, our truest identity. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, Phenomenal book, you should check it out if you haven't. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, 
most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. We're all worried about so many things. He's like, hey, if I, if I could give you one piece of advice, focus on knowing God more. And so much of the beauty of what Paul is communicating here in Ephesians 1 is that those who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit living in them. And through the Holy Spirit, knowing God deeper is available. He says in verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And so Paul, he's moving through this progression. He starts with praying for us to know God more. And then he's like, well, how do you know God more? Let me answer that question by our eyes being open to the knowledge of God and of self. Have you ever thought about your eyes, your heart of having eyes? Feels like a weird concept, right? Like unless you grew up in church or we sing it here sometimes too. And you sang that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I can't sing. But... (laughs) Maybe you've sang those words before and and you've been like, what does that mean? This is where he gets that from. This is where the writer of that song said, oh, I'm going to write a song about that. And he made a lot of money. Have you ever thought, though, about this concept, about this idea? I'll never forget when I got glasses for the first time. And I was a senior in high school. And I went on a road trip with some friends. And I was driving down the highway in my Burgundy 1998 Isuzu Trooper. And this was before me or any of my friends had iPhones. And so there was no use of Google Maps or Apple Maps. We had MapQuest. Y'all remember MapQuest? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my 30s, okay? And I used MapQuest. And it's it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day, and they're like, yeah, I went on a trip down to Florida. And I was like, awesome. And they are like, yeah, I MapQuested this route. And I was like, you did what? (laughs) I was like, I didn't know that was still a thing. And so I'm on this road trip with my friends, a senior in high school, and we're driving down the road, and we're heading towards Charlotte. And as we're driving, um, my friend is co-piloting for me, and so I'm driving, and he's telling me where to go, and he's got the sheet printed out, and he's like, hey, you're going to turn right at Charlotte Avenue. And I was like, cool, okay, um, what am I looking for? And he was like, you're looking for the sign that says Charlotte Avenue. And I was like, yeah, but like, what does it look like? What's around it? And he was like, just read the sign that says Charlotte Avenue. And I was like, you can read the street signs? And he said, you can't read the street signs? And I said, no, I've never been able to read the street signs. I, like, I just thought that, like, they're just there. And he was like, why are you driving? <laughs> so needless to say, when I got back from my trip, I went to the eye doctor. And it was for the first time in, since I was, like, five years old. And I go to the eye doctor, and the doctor's like, hey, yeah. Um, so you absolutely, positively should not be driving without glasses. You cannot see. And I was like, wow, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Good to know. I've just always been looking for landmarks and colors and turning it shapes. <laughs> and so, so, so the eye doctor, he gives me glasses. And I kid you not, like I get these glasses and I, I waited till I got outside for some reason to put them on. And so I put these things on outside and I was like, whoa. I turned to my mom, I said, mom, you can see the leaves on trees. (laughs) And she was like, Joe, welcome to reality. And I was like, this is like life in high definition. This is awesome. And I went to class the next day too. And I'm sitting there in class and, and I'm sitting in the back of the room and I turned to my friend and I'm looking up at the whiteboard and I look at him and I said, hey, have you always been able to read what's on that board right there? 
<laughs> he looked at me and was like, uh, yeah? And I was like, cool, cool, cool. That explains a lot. <laughs> and because I was always that kid that was like, hey, can you say that again? Can you, what did you write up there? Hey, what is that letter? What is that number? And I had no idea that for years I was going through life and I was blinded. I, have a, I had a blurred vision of reality. And I did not know what I was seeing before me and I could not perceive the directions and shapes and I, had, I needed help. And I had no idea that I needed help to see clearly. Did you know that you have spiritual eyes to your hearts? And the eyes of your hearts are like glasses, like instruments that are used to perceive and understand deep truth and deep reality. And our spiritual eyes every single day are absorbing reality and shaping how we see ourselves and how we see God. And whether you realize it or not, before Jesus, you, me, we were all spiritually blind, could not see walking through life without a clear picture of who God is and who we are and what this is all about. You were blinded by your sin, blinded by your disobedience, but those who are in Christ, when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have the Holy Spirit who is God. And this is the great mystery of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they all have active roles in the life of a believer. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that he puts on the glasses And he opens your eyes so that you can see life the way you were created to see it. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you and for me today. He wants to illuminate the eyes of our hearts to understand who God is and who he's created us to be. You see, truth, it first comes to our mind through our eyes. But in order for it to take hold of us, it has to move to our hearts. And so what is the heart? See, for many people, when you think about the heart, you think about your emotions, your feelings. But when we look at scripture, your heart is so much more. Your heart is your inner being, which includes your emotions, yes, includes your mind and your will. It's the totality of your personality and your being all coming together. And the Holy Spirit is who enlightens or illuminates God's truth for us from opening our eyes and moving to our heart. Like Caden just read as he was leading us through communion in Luke chapter 24, Jesus, he does this with his disciples. Following his resurrection, as they're walking on this road to Emmaus, Jesus, he opens their eyes and they recognized him. They got to see him. They were like, you're alive. And then Jesus vanished from their sight. He was like, peace out. I'll see y'all later. Just disappeared. And then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? He's like, wait, he opened our eyes, but then our hearts started to burn within us. And then it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, Jesus does right here for his disciples what Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would do for you and for me, that he would open our eyes, that he would burn our hearts, that he would open our minds to know God. See, when we approach this book, the Bible, with a deep desire to know God, there is no limit to what God might want to do in us and through us. John McKay, he's this former president of Princeton Seminary years and years ago. He was a missionary and a theologian, and he recalled how at the age of 14, he took his Bible into the hills of Scotland, and he studied the book of Ephesians, and he wrote these words. He said, I saw a new world. Everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes to other people. I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I was really 
alive. What an encounter. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do for you too. My prayer for you is that a whole new world would be opened for you. That as you start to study this book, as you study this letter of Ephesians, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the truths of God in a life-changing way for you. He would open your eyes. He would put these glasses on so that you can see through clear glass. See, because the glass or the lens through which you view your life has a deep impact on who you are and who you're becoming. And maybe you're here and you're hearing me talk and you're like, that's great, Joe, but I've never experienced that. I don't know who that guy is, running around in Scotland, but that's not me. I've never experienced that when I've opened up this book. I have yet to, I want to, but tell me why I haven't yet. Why can't I seem to see the way that you're talking about seeing? See, I think the problem for so many of us is we see ourselves and we see the world and we interpret the world through tinted glass. See, so many of us, one of the reasons why we, I believe, struggle to see God for who he is is because we're trying to stare through a mirror to see God. And if God is over there and I'm right here, so many of us, we can't seem to see past ourselves when we are trying to look at God. And maybe for you, you are struggling to understand scripture because when you try to look at scripture, you're like, I'm looking great. I'm doing all right. I'm feeling just fine. Got something in my teeth, but I'll be good. You look great. And maybe the reason why you're struggling to see God and experience this illumination of the Holy Spirit is because you just have this arrogant, inflated view of yourself. That when you think about God and you try to see God, you get caught up in who you are. And you're so worried about who you are and what you look like and and so when you're trying to see God, it's kind of hard to see how big he is when you can't get past how big you are in your mind. And maybe for you, it plays out in this form of you've started to create an image of God in your heart and in your mind that looks a lot like you when you think of God. That when you try to see who God is, it's really hard for you to get past this version of God that you've created in your mind that looks and thinks and talks and acts a lot like yourself. Because you're staring into a mirror every time. And maybe for some of you, it's not that you look in the mirror and you have this inflated view of yourself, but maybe for you, you have crippling insecurities about yourself. And you struggle to understand your sonship and your daughtership in Christ because when you look in the mirror and you're trying to see God, you just get so caught up in how you don't measure up and your shortfalls and how you look and you're so concerned about what other people think about you that you cannot comprehend what God thinks about you. And you get caught up in trying to understand, trying to see who God is by looking in a mirror. Have you ever tried to drive your car by just looking in mirrors? It's pretty hard. You're not going to get where you're trying to go. It's also been cold lately. And so let me ask you, have you ever tried to drive your car with frosted windshield? with frost on your windshield. Have you ever done that? You got in your car and you're like, I'm running late, but I can't see a thing. And so you just roll your window down and you're like, <laughs> not recommended, okay? It doesn't work. See, so many of us, maybe for you, it's not that you're staring at a mirror when you try to look at God, but maybe you have a clouded, a frosted, a dimmed, a blurred perspective of who God is. And for you, 
Maybe your view of who God is has been clouded by the culture around you, the experiences that you've had. Maybe you're struggling to see who God is because your view of who God is has been so clouded by social media, what you read about God online, what you see about God in the news. Maybe for you, your past experiences of who God has seemed to be from maybe your experience at a church with dead religion or maybe unhealthy spirituality. And so you can't seem to comprehend how good God is and who he's created you to be and your possessions in him because when you look at God, you have this clouded, this frosted view of who he is. And it's hard to read his word when you can't seem to make out the text. Maybe for you, you need a different set of glass to look and see God. Then there's other people in this room and Maybe you're struggling to see who God is because you can't seem to see past your past. And maybe for you, you looking at God is like trying to see God through stained glass. Where you've got the mistakes of your past, the sin of your past, your struggles, your selfishness, the times that you seem to fail and you can't understand and can't comprehend who God is because you approach his word And all you see is the stain of your past. All you see are your regrets and your shame and the times that you've messed up. And you're trying to look at God. You're trying to see him. But there's this stain in between you and him that seems to separate you. And it's a struggle to try and see who he is, to comprehend who he is, to know who he is. We are struggling to see who God is, and we are in desperate need of the Holy Spirit to give us a new set of glass. And see, what's beautiful about the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives is that when we ask him to, like Paul just prayed, when we ask him to enlighten, to open the eyes of our hearts, what he does is part of sanctification process is what he does. He starts to peel back the layer The film, the stains, the frost, the cloudiness, everything that seems to blur our vision to see who God really is. And he gives us the opportunity, the ability to be able to see God clearly, to comprehend his greatness and his glory and his love that he has for you. The Holy Spirit comes to remove the stain of your past, remove your shame, remove your regrets, so that you can approach God, look at God and see him clearly for who he truly is, that you can go to his word now and start to read and understand and make sense of what he has to say to you. So let me ask you, do you wanna understand who you are and who God created you to be when you look at this book, when you read this scripture? What if you started to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes? What if you said, hey, Holy Spirit, can you peel back all the filth, all the junk, everything that is clouded my vision because I want to see you, God, for who you are. The psalmist, he writes this in Psalm 119. He says, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. What if you start to pray this every time you open up scripture? Start to say, open my eyes. Then he says in verse 34, give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. See, as we read this book, the Holy Spirit is who has a squeegee 
some Dawn soap, and he's just cleaning off everything that seems to have put dirt and mess between our view of who God is, and then we can read his scripture clearly. And we can read like this in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then you can start to understand and comprehend all that we possess in Jesus. He says, called. Let me hear you say called. 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 See, Paul's wanting us to understand that we have been called. We've been called by God. Core to our identity as followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters, is that we are called out of darkness and called into light. the, The reality of this plays out in the sense that we are a part of his body, his church, the bride of Jesus. The ecclesia is the called out gathering of the people of God for the purposes of God. You are now called. A son or a daughter, you have a calling on your life. And your life has purpose and meaning beyond just here and now. And he says, you also have hope. Let me hear you say hope. You now possess hope. And because of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, he opens our eyes so that we can see, wait, I can live as a person with hope. See, so many of us are living our lives today with eyes closed to the reality of the hope that we have been given because of our calling. And this word hope in the Bible, it doesn't just mean like, oh man, I'm hoping to get a PS5 at Christmas. I'm hoping to get a bike. I'm hoping for something new. No, 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 no. This word carries with it this assurance of the future. That our hope is founded in the reality of heaven and the return of Jesus. That this is not our home. It's not our home. And then he shifts to the riches of his inheritance in the same. The riches of his inheritance. See, Ephesus was a wealthy city. But today, its wealth is gone. It was beautiful and big and vast today. It's rubble. You know who wants to go there? Archaeologists. The wealth and the greatness of what it once was is now faded. But you know what hasn't faded? The calling and the hope of the people, the saints who once walked the streets of Ephesus preaching the gospel. You know what they're experiencing right now? The riches of God's inheritance in heaven. They aren't worried about their city being gone today. They are walking in the glory of King Jesus, seeing him face to face, experiencing all that he has created them to be and to know they know him fully. They're seeing clearly God for who he is. Because they lived their lives in Christ, called, hopeful, walking in the inheritance that God has for the saints. Is there something far greater for you, in store for you in heaven than what you see in this world? And it's eternal riches beyond your wildest dreams. It's the end of striving. It's complete satisfaction and contentment and joy beyond all compare. And in Jesus, you possess this. You have access to it as his kids. This is my son, Hudson. And uh, you can say, aw, he's a cute kid. One of the great joys of my life outside of walking with Jesus and being married to my wife, Leslie, is being a dad to my son, Hudson, and my daughter, Hadley. And one of the things I love about this season of 
seeing Hudson grow up is that each and every day he's growing more into the image of his dad. He's starting to do the things I do, say the things that I say, like the things that I like. And what's true about Hudson right now from the moment he took his first breath is that one day when me and Leslie are not here anymore and we step into heaven, Hudson and Hadley, they're going to be given our inheritance. And they're going to get all of the riches of what it means to be a baker. And right now, that may not be a lot. But one day I'm hoping for it. And Hudson and Hadley, each and every day, they are walking in this reality that one day they will experience all of that. All of what we have to give them. There is nothing that I will ever hold back from giving to my kids when it's time. And so they can know today and walk in that confidently of what's to come. But they're kids. They have no idea what that means. They have no idea what's in store for them. But what they do know right now is that each and every day they can wake up and start to walk more in who their mom and who their dad says that they are and live life the way that they've been told God says life should be lived. And each and every day they start to do the things that we do like Hudson, he loves riding bikes right now because I love riding bikes. And we got him a bike and all he wants to do is ride bikes. And, and one of the coolest things right now is that anytime I ask him a question like, hey Hudson, do you wanna go ride bikes? He'll look at me and he'll say, dad, do you wanna ride bikes? And he'll say, if you wanna ride bikes, then I wanna ride bikes. And he keeps just saying this and it's the sweetest thing ever because in his heart, he just wants to be like his dad. And he wants to know his dad more because if he does the things that his dad does, he starts to know him more and he just wants to spend time with me. And I have to remind myself all the time that like the greatest gift I can give my kids right now is my presence to be with them. And so like this weekend, it's been this like winter wonderland in Atlanta and it's so cold. And so we didn't really go outside and didn't want to freeze our faces off. And so yesterday we're just chilling at the house and we're playing Super Smash Brothers on his Nintendo Switch and we're having a blast. And then we watch TV and we were watching this show and running wild with Bear Grylls and it's awesome. And, and Bear Grylls, this wilderness man, he's climbing this ice mountain in Iceless with this famous actor and the actor's so scared and Bear's just like making his way up the mountain and they've got these pickaxes and they're just ah, ah, climbing up this mountain. And I look at Hudson and I say, Hudson, would you climb that mountain? He looks at me and says, uh, no. <laughs> then he looks back at me and he says, daddy, would you? And I said, oh, for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I wanted to hear what he would say. And he looks back at me and he says, if you would, I would. I would do it, daddy. See, he understands and he knows that if he's doing what his daddy does and if he's walking with his dad and if he's seeking to know his dad more than he can walk confidently. There, there is no mountain that he cannot scale. There is no valley that he cannot make it through. If he knows his daddy's heart and he knows what he has in him, if he one day comes to know the reality of the God of the universe that he loves him beyond compare, beyond measure, and that God loves him more than his dad and more than his mom ever could, there is no limit to what he can't do. That he would walk in this life with this holy confidence in the reality and who God is and who he's created him to be. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us, that each and every day we would live our lives with this, this 
sense of joy that we get to know God more. This sense of hope that I'm waking up every day and as I open up this word, I can't wait to know you, God, more. Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes? Cause like, I need to know you at a deeper and more rich and meaningful level because I wanna be satisfied in you. And I wanna know you. I wanna know the depths and the riches of your glory. And I wanna know you in the big things and I wanna know you in the little things. And that what if you started to read through the gospels and say every little thing that Jesus does, I want to start to do. And I wanna live my life as a disciple of Jesus, walking in his ways, walking in his step. And, and when you think about what you're gonna do, you say, hey, G Jesus, would you do that? Would you say that? Would you act that way? Because if you would, then I would. And if you wouldn't, then I won't. And Paul's prayer for you and me is that we would come to know God more because as we know God more, we will live more into the fullness of who he's created us to be. That we would know him at a deep, meaningful, heart-filled level. He says, the riches of the inheritance, his riches of the inheritance in the saints. Did you know that when God looks at you, he sees you as part of his inheritance? That God measures his wealth with you in the equation? That when he's thinking about what he has, he's like, my son, my daughter. Inheritance that he has in the saints. What kind of confidence would that give you? That you knew that God was thinking about you, that you knew that God cared about every step that you take and every move that you make, and that you would walk in a confidence with him. You know, when we know God more, we get to experience more of his power, more of his great power in our lives, and that's where Paul ends. I just want to read this. Paul says that he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of Jesus' power toward us who believe that according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And this is where we land, that we would see Jesus for who he really is, high above, above everything in my life, above every desire that I have that, I would know God more so that I can see Jesus as above everything. See, the purpose of you understanding who you are is to always get to see more clearly that life is about Jesus. It's about him. It always has been, it always will be. And the invitation for you today is to step into that identity, to step into your sonship, your, who God says that you are and that you would walk in that today, in this sense of having your eyes open to know the reality of who God is and who he created you to be.